church brought this statement from the wise man Solomon. I perceive that this also is grasping for the wind. How do you grab the wind? You can't. He's saying as, as vain as it is to try to grab the wind, it was that vain to try to get meaning, fulfillment, and peace from the acquisition of knowledge, just knowing things. Solomon is not saying that knowledge in and of itself is bad. Only that wisdom and knowledge without a relationship with God do not bring fulfillment or meaning to life. That's really the gist of Ecclesiastes. Without God, there is no meaning. There is no life. I really don't know how atheists do it. I don't know how they get by. If I was an atheist and woke up with that every day and and there was no relationship with God that was vertical, that's a crazy maker. That makes you neurotic. That makes you nuts. You say crazy things, think crazy things. You get empty. You get depressed. You go into despair when there is no God. Now, Paul the Apostle talked about those who are, watch this, always learning but never able to come to a knowledge of the truth. What a powerful verse. See, you can be learning constantly but never find the truth. And that's Solomon's message. Nobody had more knowledge than Solomon. We're very familiar with, if you read the book of Proverbs, the sort of the Solomonic trilogy, wisdom, knowledge, and understanding. He's always talking about how wisdom, knowledge, and understanding are good to your soul, are like honey to your soul, are good to the taste. Wisdom, knowledge, and understanding. But only if they lead you to God. Only if they lead you to a relationship with Christ. If they don't, then all the knowledge in the world will not bring you peace. Now, next in chapter 2, we find Solomon deciding, well, knowledge didn't work. Let's try pleasure. And so he becomes really the historical hedonist. Look what he says in verse 1. I said in my heart... Come now, I will test you with mirth, gladness, laughter. Therefore, enjoy pleasure. So that's what he said to himself. He had a little talk with himself. It's time to go out and party hardy. I'm going to go have fun. I'm going to enjoy pleasure. But as he had found with knowledge, he also discovered with pleasure the same thing. He writes in verse 2, but surely this also was vanity. I said of laughter, it's madness. And of mirth, what does it accomplish? Now, that sounds really cynical because everybody likes to laugh. But there's a proverb that he wrote later. And he said, laughter is like the crackling of a fire. It's like sparks flying up out of a fire. And what happens with those sparks that come crackling out of a fire? They're there a minute and then gone. He said, that's how laughter does not really carry you in the long haul. Laughter does not satisfy you deep down. Can't do it. You can watch Johnny Carter. You can watch all the comedy shows. You can get around and laugh until you can't laugh anymore. But have you ever gone to a place and gotten with a group of people and had a great big laugh? Talked about old times and laughed, just laughed and laughed. But on the way home, you still felt empty. He said, I said of laughter, madness, in that it did not really fulfill me 
in the long haul. It was there, and then it was gone. Mirth, what does it accomplish? No one has explored in all of history the possibilities of hedonism. And what's hedonism? The pursuit of pleasure for pleasure's sake. Now, that's our culture. That is America. That's the West right now. The pursuit of pleasure just for the sake of pleasure. Thinking that if I can just have a bunch of pleasure, then I will be happy. But we're going to see from Solomon that it does not make you happy. He gives us some of the details of what he went and did. First, Solomon tells himself, enjoy yourself. Let's try that, everybody. Let's say that together. Enjoy. How many of you ever said that in the past? Okay, I'm going to go have fun. Enough of this serious life. I'm going to go enjoy myself. And you headed for some kind of pleasure. All right? So he went in. He gave it all for mirth, laughter, and pleasure. And you can let your mind fill in the gaps of where he went. Imagine how the palace must have rocked with laughter because Solomon had more money than you could spend in a hundred lifetimes. He could throw a party like no one else. So imagine what that palace was like. Every night they had stand-up comics. Every night they had lavish feasts with wine flowing like water. Trust me, Hugh Hefner's infamous parties at the Playboy Mansion had nothing compared to Solomon's hedonistic bashes. He could have taught old Hugh a few things. Poor old Hugh. Isn't he pitiful these days? I'm sorry. I read an article every once in a while about him. There he is, you know, he can hardly stand up, and he's got some young 24-year-old blonde right here. You feel sorry for the blonde, <laughs> real sorry for the blonde, and then you feel sorry for him, just trying to, you know, keep up the image of the happy hedonist, but anyway, I didn't mean to go there, I just, I saw an article recently, and there he was, barely able to look into the camera. Anyway, he's very honest about where his heart went. Look what he says in verse 3. I searched in my heart how to gratify my flesh with what, everyone? With alcohol. I searched in my heart. How, to, In other words, he became a really, really good drinker. While guiding my heart with wisdom and how to lay hold on folly till I might see what was good for the sons of men to do under heaven all the days of their lives. So he tried drunkenness. He tried drinking. No wonder he wrote so realistically later on in the Proverbs about the folly of wine. So here in Ecclesiastes, you've got him telling us, I'm going to go try it out. I'm going to, I'm going to really try the realm of drinking. I'm going to test it. I'm going to experiment with it. I'm going to get out there, and I'm going to, as it were, hit the bars. I heard a story. I've got to tell it to you. I was with a group, group of pre- preachers uh, a couple of weeks ago. You may not think this is funny. I thought it was so funny. It's a pastor that I know. He had a full Sunday morning service. And the Lord is really moving. He's caught up in it. He lifts his hands. And he goes into kind of a, I guess, a Holy Ghost trance. Now, this man has been raised in church. He's never gone out into the world. He, he starts uttering what he thinks is, is a vision. And he says this. I see. Now, he's on the mic. Everybody's listening. The music is playing. The worship is flowing. Everybody's caught up in it. He says, I see a huge pina colada. 
And he said, and out of it is flowing joy, joy, joy. And his associate went up to him and said, Pastor, pinata. Oh, that got me. How do you backtrack on that? A huge pina colada and joy, joy, joy is flowing out of it. Oh, I mean, pinata. Okay. I already chased somebody out. Boy, I got a kick out of that. I laughed till I rolled because I know him and I know what he was thinking. He was thinking pinata, but it came out wrong. Pina colada. Anyway, but no wonder he wrote so realistically about wine later in the Proverbs. Look what he said in Proverbs 23, 29 through 35. You've probably read this. Who has anguish? Who has sorrow? Do you think he's looking back on what he did? Come on, church. Do you think he's looking back on what he did? Because he said, I'm going to go try it all. I think he's looking back with pain and regret. He says, who has anguish? Who has sorrow? Who is always fighting? Who is always complaining? Who has unnecessary bruises and don't know where they got them? (laughs) Who has bloodshot eyes? It's the one who spends long hours in the taverns trying out new drinks, pina colada, (laughs) trying out new drinks. You know, he's looking back. You know, this is a regret talking. And then he gives advice. Don't gaze at the wine, seeing how red it is, how it sparkles in the cup, how smoothly it goes down. There is experience talking for in the end, it bites like a poisonous snake. Can we say that together? Everybody for in the end, it bites like a poisonous snake. It stings like a viper. Now he's going to tell us how it does that. You will see hallucinations. You ever been around somebody experiencing DTs? The withdrawal of alcohol? I have. I've seen it. I've been there. And it's horrible. Things are crawling on me. I'm hearing voices. I'm seeing things. When an alcoholic comes off and tries to clean up, you will say crazy things. The King James says perverse things. Things will come out of your mouth that would never come out of your mouth normally. You will stagger like a sailor tossed at sea, the drunken sway, clinging to a swaying mast. It's like you're hanging on, just trying not to fall. And you will say, they hit me, but I didn't feel it. I didn't even know it when they beat me up. When will I wake up so I can look for another drink? Now, he he gives all those negatives, and then he gives the plight of the person hooked on alcohol. He says, even in spite of all these things, when will I wake up so I can look for another drink? I can't wait for the next drink, even after all of that. Amen. In that, in that a description, that's, that is right there autobiographical. There's no doubt about it. So wine didn't work. That's clear, right? Next, he turns to great works. 
in his continual quest for meaning and fulfillment. Maybe I'll get my meaning and fulfillment in life from just building things, from accomplishing and achieving great things. Notice how the next three verses all begin with the words, I made, I created, I built. Look, I made. Verse four, I made my works great. I built myself houses and planted myself vineyards. I made myself gardens and orchards and I planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. I made myself water pools from which to water the growing trees of the grove. All these incredible things. This man was a genius. Solomon in the natural. They IQ tested him. He would have been off the charts. He was brilliant. He could create. He was an expert on insects, birds, animals, architecture, uh, uh, poetry, writing, wisdom. The guy was just this genius. And so he was able to create all these things. The, The Solomonic Temple was unparalleled, unprecedented in history. That beautiful temple he built for the glory of God. There was nothing like it. He was a, he was a genius. And so he starts making all these things saying, maybe if, if I create and these things flow out of my hand, I will find, I will find fulfillment in my work. And don't a lot of people do that today? They say, they say, I will find fulfillment in my career. I will make this and make that and achieve this and achieve that. And with my achievements, I will find fulfillment. But they reach 40, 50, 55, and they wake up one day and realize none of this has really filled that emptiness in my soul. And the the disappointment and the disillusionment they go through is huge. That's what causes midlife crises. When you say, I thought this was going to do it for me. I thought that's where I'd find fulfillment. I was always told when I make this much money and achieve that level of education and and have my house and my little white picket fence and spot running around in the front yard and my beautiful spouse and my wonderful little children, if I can just get there, I will be happy. And then you wake up and realize there's still this ache down in your soul and it did not do it. That's what he's saying. I made, I made, I made. Again, the lesson is clear. No matter what your accomplishment in life or how much pleasure you experience or how much knowledge you acquire, life without God is empty. Amen? It's empty. It's empty. But Solomon's not near finished. He's on a quest. He is going to give it everything he's got. So he moves from things he made to things that he acquired. He went after possessions. Verses 7 and 8, I acquired male and female servants and had servants born in my house. Yes, I had greater possessions of herds and flocks than all who were in Jerusalem before me. Let me just translate that for you. He had the biggest house on the block. He had more. He was Donald Trump. Who's the Facebook guy? Zuckerman. Zuckerman, last week, just because of stock sales, walked away with $3 billion, with a B, $3 billion. Stock sales. Facebook. But I want to tell you this about Mark Zuckerman. That $3 billion will never make him happy. It will never do it. It can't. Solomon already told us it can't do it. He said, I had greater possessions of herds and flocks than everybody in Jerusalem. 
I also gathered for myself silver and gold and the special treasures of kings and of the provinces. I acquired male and female singers, the delights of the sons of men, and musical instruments. He was also a musician. There was nothing. This was the real Renaissance man, Solomon. Musical instruments of all kinds. He accumulated servants, great possessions of cattle, silver and gold, special king's treasures, gifted singers that continuously filled his ears with song. Yet this man's final conclusion was, listen to it, after all of that, vanity, vanity, all is vanity. And remember, vanity means meaningless, vacuous, empty. What's his problem? What is his problem? His problem is he had a God-shaped hole in his soul. And nothing can fill that God-shaped hole but God. That's it. So, I'll tell you what. If you gave me a choice, a gigantic mansion with all these things he's named, and emptiness or a little shack, And joy, I don't even have to think about it. Because there's people that live in 100,000 square foot mansions and they got satin sheets and they can't sleep in them at night. Throwing back all kinds of drugs. Pop a pill to sleep, pop a pill to wake up, pop a pill to get through the day. Smoke a joint here, pop a pill there. Have a shot of whatever at the end of the day just to get through the day. Man, what's wrong with you? You're empty because God's not there. Really, we all have two options of how we're going to live life. Are you ready? I like this. Under the sun, S-U-N, life without God, or under the sun, S-O-N, life with Jesus Christ. That's the two options we've got. You can have life under the sun, life without God, or life under the sun, S-O-N, and have true life and life indeed. Which are you under? Are you under the S-U-N or the S-O-N? In the next three verses, Solomon continues his quest, I mean, with total abandon. He says in verse 9, So I became greater than all who had lived in Jerusalem before me, and my wisdom never failed me. Anything I wanted, I would take. Who does that sound like that you know? That sound like you? Anything I wanted, I just took it. And he could do it because he was king. I denied myself no pleasure. Not one thing that his flesh suggested he do, he didn't do. I've never done that. What about you? Total abandon to hedonism. I denied myself no pleasure. I even found great pleasure in hard work. A reward for all my labor. Now, verse 11, but as I looked at everything I had worked so hard to accomplish, here he goes, spiraling down again. It was also meaningless. When I looked at everything I'd done, these gardens, these houses, the palace, the temple, all of the wives and everything. Then he says, it was all meaningless, like chasing the wind. There was nothing really worthwhile anywhere. Here's what he's saying. I had some joy in my labor, but it didn't last. 
In the end, something was missing. I couldn't put my finger on it. It was maddening. Some missing piece was eluding me. That's what I'm hearing in him. So true of modern man today, isn't it? We have unprecedented material blessings, unlike any nation in the history of the world. We waste more food than we eat. I read that article last week as well. We waste more food than we eat. Our options for entertainment are endless. We can communicate with somebody around the world at the click of a button, yet we are empty. Suicide rates are up. I read another article. You say, Pastor, you read a lot of articles. I do. But I read this article of how many people are on some prescription just to get through the day with all of these things. This is because there's a God-shaped hole, as I just said, in every soul. And no thing, no one, no place, no pleasure can fill it but Almighty God. Solomon knew this full well. I can remember at, uh, as a teenager, 17-ish, going to a Bible study meeting. I got saved in juvenile home at 16. But nobody told me to read the Bible, go to church, how to follow up. I, I didn't know what to do after that. So I kind of drifted. And I ended up getting invited to a Bible study. I went to this Bible study, and I walked in. There was all kinds of people like me, long hair part down the middle, blue jeans. Some habits die hard. Um, and, but they were all hippies, male, female, worshiping God, tears streaming down their face. And I remember saying, God, if you will give that to me, I will give you anything. And it hit me. The Spirit of God fell upon me. And all of a sudden, boy, it was just like wave. I'll quote uh, Charles Finney, the revivalist, said, when God touched him with the Holy Spirit, he said it was like wave after wave of liquid love just flooded my soul. And, and then, watch this, that, that is the missing piece. Because our soul was meant to walk with God within, in the inner man. We were meant and designed and hardwired to walk with God in the inner man. And when you get filled with his spirit, it's like coming home. And then, then you have found what Solomon was looking for all this time. Or really, it found you. Now, look at verses 12 to 14. So I decided to compare wisdom with foolishness and madness, for who can do this better than I? A little bit of, little bit of arrogance there. Uh, who's wiser than me? Hallelujah. Verse 13, I thought, wisdom is better than foolishness, just as light is better than darkness. And that's true. For the wise can see where they're going, but fools walk in the dark. Fools can't see where they're going. The worst kind of darkness in the world is spiritual darkness. Jesus said, if the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? He was talking about spiritual darkness. So he's saying, here's one thing I did discover that's true. Wisdom is better than foolishness. You are better off wise than foolish. For the wise at least see where they're going. They have the light of wisdom, God's wisdom, illuminating their path. Jesus said something very similar when he said, or it says of him, when Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, read it with me, everybody, I am the light of the world. Keep reading. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. 
That's the words of Jesus. If you walk with Jesus, who is the wisdom of God, personified, if you walk with Jesus, you're walking in the wisdom of God. And he said, you will never walk in darkness. You'll have the light of life. It'll lighten your path. You'll at least know where you're going. You know, Kathy and I, for a number of years, lived in the East Texas country. We were on four acres and there were no neighbors. And and we had a river, not a river, but a very wide creek that ran through our property at the bottom of a hill. And one thing about our land there in East Texas was it had all kinds of snakes. There were snakes everywhere. One thing you did not do at night, you did not go out at night without a really good flashlight shine right down here. Not out there, right down here, lighting your path. Because there were copperheads, there were water moccasins, there were all of these. And I know I'm creeping some of you out, but believe me, they were there. So I learned, if you're going to walk in the darkness, you've got to have a light. If you don't have a light, you're going to get bitten. It's the same thing with our world right now. This is a dark world. And and the devil has uh, just taken it for a season. Now, he doesn't own it. God does. But he's the prince of this world, Jesus said. And so it's dark and it's dangerous. And there are vipers. There are poisonous, as it were, snakes everywhere. So Jesus said, if you walk with me, you will always have a light at your path. And you will not be snake bitten if you walk with me. That ought to make anybody want to walk with Jesus. You'll avoid the drug culture. You'll avoid the the everything that's out there that is so poisonous, so lethal. Yet right when it sounds like he's about to get a fresh glimpse of God, Solomon plunges again into cynicism. Look what he says. Well, if I can get there, he's jumping around on me. <laughs> Why is it doing that? Okay. Yes, I saw that the wise and the foolish share the same fate. Now look at that cynicism. Both will die. Well, there's a revelation for you. I don't want to be gloomy tonight, but turn to your neighbor and say, one day you're going. We all die, don't we? Not me, Pastor. I'm being raptured. Well, God bless you. I would love to be too. But if I don't get raptured, I'm going. Now look, he says, he says, both will die. So I said to myself, since I will end up the same as the fool, then what's the value of all my wisdom? What have I gotten wisdom for if I'm just going to one day die just like the fool? This is all so meaningless. He goes on in verse 16, for the wise and the foolish both die. The wise will not be remembered any longer than the fool. In the days to come, both will be forgotten. Now look what he says in verse 17. So I came to hate life. Wouldn't you have loved to have gone on vacation with Solomon? Wouldn't he have been a blast? Hey, Solomon, what are we going to do today? I don't know. I hate life. Well, let's go parasail. Ah, it's all meaningless. Wouldn't he have been fun? If I could have gone with anybody, I would have wanted to go on vacation with Simon Peter. Now, he'd have been fun. He would try walking on water. That's my kind of guy. But Solomon, my God, I hate life because everything done here under the sun is so troubling. Everything is meaningless, like chasing the wind. I can picture his thousand wives kicking this guy out of the house. Man, you are, Solomon, you are a downer. Everything is meaningless, like chasing the wind. 
All right, once again, he's fallen in the trap of viewing life. Where, everybody? Which is life without God. When you say life is meaningless, you're looking at it from the under the S-U-N, sun perspective. You're forgetting God. This despair over the seeming meaninglessness of life's labors is felt like by a whole uh, lot of people who don't know the Lord. They see no ultimate purpose of it all. But the good news is there is a flip side to this view, and this is good news. Say with me, life is not meaningless. Say it like you're preaching. Ready? Life is not meaningless. Now add an if. If you know the Lord. Now watch. 1 Corinthians 15, 58, one of my favorite verses. Paul says, My beloved brothers and sisters, you must stand firm, unshakable, excelling in the work of the Lord as always. Now read after because with me. Because you know your labor isn't in vain in the Lord. What's vain? It's taken from vanity. It is not meaningless. It is not a waste of time in the Lord. Boy, that thing is jumping around. Okay, I'll try this. Now, this isn't just talking about labor and ministry, folks. This isn't just talking about the preachers, people who are in active ministry, but rather the fact that all believers do their jobs as unto the Lord and not unto men. Can I tell you tonight who you really work for? You really work for Jesus. If you're a believer, you work for him. Because look what the Bible says. Let all that you do be done in the name of the Lord. Well, most of what you do is 40 hours a week working. Let it be done in the name of the Lord. And you're not doing it ultimately as unto men. And that'll help you submit to a boss. Well, I'm not submitting to him or her. I'm submitting to the Lord who has me in this job. Until he moves me, here's where I am. So I'm just going to submit to him in this job. Don't shout me down, everybody. I'm just, do you hear me? Paul writes, whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men, knowing that of the Lord, you will receive the reward of the inheritance. Read the last part with me for you serve the Lord Christ in all that you do. You serve the Lord Christ. That gives a whole new meaning to work. Whether you're the CEO of a multi-million dollar corporation or a ditch digger on the side of a highway. If you are a believer, you're called to sanctify your work unto the Lord. You really work for him and he will reward you on that great day for living unto him. That takes a while to go from here to here, doesn't it? But we are working for him. When I preach, I don't mean to hurt your feelings but I don't preach unto you. I'm not teaching unto you right now. I play for an audience of one. That's it. I learned a long time ago, people come, people go. You're a hero one day, a zero the next. They'll slap you on the back one day, stab you in the back the next. I'm not saying that about all people. You have close people that are loyal, but I'm talking about the way people are, they're very fickle. And if you do what you do for people, they will always let you down. They always will, sooner or later. So you can walk around mad all the time because people have let you down, or you can switch the way you view 
your life and your job. And when you look at it like I'm working for Jesus, I'm, I get up in the morning and go to work for an audience of one. I do my job all day long for an audience of one. I go home through rush hour traffic to an audience of one. And when I die, I'm going to meet an audience of one who is going to say to me, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Okay. But Solomon couldn't see this at the time. It was all just a waste of time and effort because after all, here's what he was saying. I'm going to die and be forgotten just like the fool will. Not fair, boo-hoo, poor guy. Now, next we find him all worried and upset about who's going to take over what he's built. Who's going to take over my business? Verse 18, I came to hate all my hard work here on earth, for I must leave to others everything I have earned. And who can tell, verse 19, whether my successors are going to be wise or foolish? Yet they will control everything I've gained by my skill and my hard work under the sun. How meaningless is that? Why should I try to excel and do a great job and build some really successful business when I'm going to die? And I'm going to leave it to people who may just let it go to pot. Meaningless, he says. So I gave up in despair, questioning the value of all my hard work in this world. So now he's got a bad case of the quits. He said, I gave up. I gave up. Forget it. Ever been there? Some people work wisely, he says in verse 21, with knowledge and skill. Then must leave the fruit of their efforts to someone who hadn't worked for it. This, too, is meaningless, and it's a great tragedy. Verse 22, so what do people get in this life for all their hard work and anxiety? Their days of labor are filled with pain and grief. Even at night, their minds cannot rest. It is all meaningless. Now that's Solomon looking at life under the sun without the redemption of God. But those who live life under the S-O-N, Jesus Christ, know better than to believe what he just said. Jesus promised his faithful followers a great day of reward that lasts for eternity. He will say, read Matthew 25, verse 23 out loud with me, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Give the Lord a hand of praise. That right there shows it's not for nothing. If you know the Lord, if you're under the S-O-N, then you know everything I do is going to be rewarded. He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Now, at the close of chapter 2, we find Solomon catching glimpses of the hand of God, active in the affairs of men. Now, this excited me. At the end of chapter 2, you begin to see that he's, he, he starts having little mini revelations. These kinds of revelations and insights that we're about to read as we close out the chapter, increase as we make our way through the book. He begins at verse 24. Look at what suddenly comes out of this cynic's mouth. Verse 24. So I decided there's nothing better than to enjoy food and drink and to find satisfaction in work. Then I realized that these pleasures are from where? The hand of God. He's breaking out of the bubble He's breaking out of the closed system. He went vertical right here. And he said, 
I know that there are certain things God has given me in life to enjoy. And it came from him. Where did the cynicism go? Well, he's starting to see God at work. Verse 25, and this is even better. For who can eat or enjoy anything apart from him? I want to say right here, Solomon, it's about time. (laughs) Thank you, brother, for finally saying something of faith. Who can eat or enjoy anything apart from him? You can't. God gives wisdom. Look at what he says. Wisdom, knowledge, and joy. Does that come from God? Can we say together, God gives wisdom, knowledge, and joy. Every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights, in whom there's no variables, neither shadow of change. So God gives wisdom, knowledge, and joy to those who please him. Are we pleasing him tonight? How are we pleasing him? By what Jesus did for us. The blood covers us. We are the righteousness of God in Christ. And therefore we are pleasing him. And he gives wisdom, knowledge, and joy to those who please him. What a burst of insight Solomon had. God gives to man the pleasure of work that is fulfilling. I love what I do. I tell people all the time, I love what I do. I love what I'm doing right now. It is the gravy of my week. I love what I do. If I didn't love it, I shouldn't be in it. But I love what I do. Do I love all the parts of pastoring? Probably not. Sheep bites and all that stuff. You know what a sheep bite is? Sheep bites. I don't love that. But I love what I do. And it comes from his hand. Now, Here's the main kicker. We can't really enjoy anything apart from being right with God. There you have it. This is the awesome truth I wish I could dispense to every person on the planet. Everything is empty and meaningless without the God who made us. And he ends chapter 2 that way. Now he closes out with one quick cynical observation, but it's okay. Verse 26 is the last verse. But if a sinner becomes wealthy, God takes the wealth away and gives it to those who please him. This, too, is meaningless, like chasing the wind. Yet in his Proverbs, Solomon says the very same thing. You'll recognize this. Proverbs 13, 22. A good person leaves an inheritance for their children's children, but a sinner's wealth is stored up for the righteous. We'll just close on that note. Now, you know what we're talking about next week? You will recognize this if you're as old as me to every season. The birds. Or the yard birds. Which was it? To, which was it? The birds. See how many people in here know that? The birds. To every season. Turn, turn. Yeah. They got a hit off the word of God. All right. Well, let's stand together. Isn't it good that everything is redeemed when you know the Lord? Our work is redeemed when we know the Lord. Let's lift our hands and thank him. Lord, thank you that we're not laboring in vain. We're not living in vain. We're not building in vain. And we're not going to reach the end of our days in vanity. 
But, Lord, you have given us your redemptive hand. And, Lord, everything we do for your glory is rewarded, and there is a hope in the hereafter. And this is not all there is, and we thank you for it, Lord. And thank you that as we journey with Solomon, we're seeing him come out of his cynicism into a walk of faith. Help us, Lord, to keep our mind on you, give our work to you, and know that a reward is on the way. I want you to take a minute tonight with your hands raised to him and just say, Lord, I give you my job. I give you what I'm doing to pay my bills. Tell him, I work for you, Lord. And I perform for an audience of one. Oh, that's good stuff. In Jesus' name.